So it is our tradition, it is the tradition of the church throughout the years to take four weeks of Advent, the four weeks of Advent, and talk about these four topics. Topics that, in my opinion, are always needed, and it doesn't matter how old you are, the season in which uh, you are a part of, anything and everything that you're going through, we continue to need the same four things. Today, we're going to talk about hope. And I want to start by making the argument that it is impossible for anybody to live without hope. I would, actually, I would actually argue that almost every philosophy in the world and every religion in the world teaches something about hope. But that there's something unique that Christianity offers that no other philosophy or religion in the world can offer. And I, and I also would like to argue that if there is a season in the history of the world in which hope is extremely needed, it'll be today. It'll be right now. It'll be in the, in the season in which we find ourselves being part of. Uh, there's a historian and a scholar. His name is Andrew Del Banco. About 20 years ago, he, he gave a lecture called The Real American Dream, A Meditation and Hope. And basically, he's walking us through the journey, uh, through the journey our nation has been for the last, uh, I think, 100 years, I believe. And he explains that in our history, the history of our nation, we went from having hope in God to having hope in our nation to having hope in us. That gradually our nation has been walking away from our foundational belief that our ultimate hope is God, that is not our nation, and is not us. And his argument throughout the whole uh, lecture is that because we have done that is part of the reason why we are extremely unhappy and experience sadness. And I think that he might be right. And I also think that that's part of the reason why we are so afraid of uncertainty. And also we are controlled many times by fear. I wonder if this is part of the reason why the birth rates for the last 20 years in the United States have dropped drastically. Actually, I've heard people say, I don't want to have children because this future is looking terrible. I wonder if this is part of the reason why anxiety and depression and suicide had drastically increased in the last 15 years, especially among young people. Maybe, just maybe, we have lost a little bit of our hope. I wonder if this is part of the reason why the fear of death uh, is, driving behind, is the driving force behind many of the things we do or we don't do. I wonder if this is part of the reason why our society does not know how to deal with suffering and are afraid of suffering. I think that if there's a season in which the message of Advent, or one of the messages of Advent, which is the message of hope, is extremely needed, is today. So let me ask you this. How is your hope? Because Christmas is not a celebration for the people outside the faith. Did you know that? Advent is necessary for the people inside the faith that continues to forget what we already have. 
Amen? So that's why today we're going to look into 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. And I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. If you're still here, can you please say, I'm here. This is the word of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are sealed by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though, re even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. You may take a seat. In this text, we find, if you will, three types of hope that Christianity offers, that Advent, the coming of Jesus offers. Active hope, grieving hope, and resting hope. Active hope, grieving hope, and resting hope. Let's go with point number one, active hope. Um, one of the things that makes the hope that Christianity offers different to any other hope is that he's very active, meaning that whatever we know Jesus is going to come when he comes back in the second advent, that whatever we have and understand about our future is so powerful that in the life of the Christian, that future is supposed to affect our present. That will be one of the things that makes Christianity unique. Christianity offers a future, a future hope, that affects the way we live today. So in order for us to understand that, we need to understand first what is it that the Lord promises that we are calling today living hope or the future hope. Look at what it says in verses 4, 5, and eight and 9. Look at what it says. Peter, the author of this letter, calls this hope we have, what is the, the things that are yet to come, this inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. He also calls it the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. And in verse 9, he also calls it the salvation of your souls. And I believe that Peter is using these three different expressions to give us kind of a different explanation from different perspectives of what our future looks like. So, for example, he calls it an inheritance. And if it's an inheritance, we know that it's not something that we work for or that we earn. Because if it's an inheritance, it has to be a gift. And Peter says that our future, this beautiful future that is coming, is not something that we earn or work for. It's something that God wanted to give us. It's a gift of grace, a gift. He also calls this future hope the coming salvation. 
What is interesting there, though, is that the word salvation can be translated as complete or freedom or deliverance. Meaning that what Jesus came to bring in his first advent is so that in his second advent, we can experience complete freedom, complete deliverance, complete restoration. And when he uses the third expression, expression, salvation of your souls, if the word salvation means deliverance or freedom or restoration, then the word souls can also be translated as life. So from my perspective, this is what it means. That only when Jesus comes back in the second advent and he restores everything and delivers everything and gives freedom to everything is when we are going to fully experience what it means to be alive. Listen, I'm not a pessimistic. And I see that everything that we have here is a gift of the Lord. Therefore, we ought to enjoy it. Amen? Amen. That's why we enjoy music. That's why we enjoy art. That's why we enjoy food. That's why we enjoy life. Because a gift from the Lord. But how about if I tell you that even the best things that we have here are nothing compared to what is yet to come? Actually, I don't think, listen to this, I don't think that we truly understand what it means to have this future hope because we have never been in a place like that here. You have never been in a place in which sin is not present. You have never been in a place in which suffering is not present. You have never been in a place in which suffering is present. Therefore, trying to fully embrace this takes a lot of us because we have never been in that place. Actually, even when we look at the people we love, look at the people you love. You don't even, you, you can't even picture how beautiful that person sitting next to you will be in the future. C.S. Lewis used to say, that we have to remember that the most interesting, interesting person one day will be a person that if we're not careful, we will be tempted to worship. Because it will be that beautiful. Listen up. Can you imagine this even better? <laughs> Hater. This is the picture. This is the image here. Oh, we have a future hope in which everything is free. Everything is delivered. Everything is beautiful. Everything is perfect. Nothing fades away. That's the future. Now, someone may say, well, what good is the future if I'm still struggling today? What good is for me to have everything that the Lord is going to bring if I'm still struggling today? And this is why Peter calls our hope living hope. It's active hope. Look at what it says in verse 3. In his great mercy, he has given us uh, a, new, uh, a new birth into a living hope. And this hope, Peter says, produces in verse 6 great rejoice or great joy. And then in verse 8, he calls that joy inexpressible and glorious joy. Every single one of those words are important. Every single one of those you have to try to understand and capture and embrace. You know what great joy means? It's almost something like this. It's when it's so much. It's so 
powerful, it is so real, it is so personal that it's not bound to any circumstances. It's this complete happiness that is not bound to anything we go through. It's a supernatural reality, objective reality that is not bound to how well you're doing or how bad you're doing. And Peter says, the more you embrace what is yet to come, the more you're going to be able to embrace that even if things are going south. Did you notice how he calls this joy an inexpressible joy? Have you ever been in a place in which you are enjoying something so and so much, whatever you're looking at is so and so beautiful, that there are no words to describe it? You know, I love to see little kids when they get the gift that they always wanted. Have you seen that? It is, it is, it is so, that image is so beautiful, so perfect. Actually, my wife and I, every year, we buy the gift, praying that that will be the gift, that they will have an inexpressible joy. And this is the idea. That there are some things in life that they're so powerful that you really, really don't find the words. This is the best illustration I have for this. Have you ever seen a kid that has been waiting for his mom or his dad to come back from war? And after they waited like a year or two, they see their parents or their parents for the first time and they run and there are no words. It's just laughing, crying, and hugging. And Peter says that what is yet to come is so beautiful, so perfect, so amazing, so satisfying that we cannot even describe it. You have never seen anything like that just yet. And he describes this future as a glorious joy. In the present... Glory means weight. Now, I don't want you to miss this. He is talking about something that will come in the future, but that it affects your present. You know what's crazy about this letter, though? Listen up. He's writing this letter to a group of people that are being persecuted because of their faith. He's not writing this letter to a group of people that go on vacation to Florida. Oh, Playa del Carmen. He's writing this letter to a group of people that are currently dying for Jesus. This is talk, he's talking to a group of people that are struggling, that their struggle is real, their fear is, their fear is real. And he says, you have to remember what is yet to come. And the more you embrace that, the more you will feel alive today, even in the midst of your struggle. So the, the obvious question we have to ask is, okay, what is it that this future is going to bring? And why is it that that future is supposed to affect the, how is it that the future is supposed to affect the way we live today? And I think that for that, we need to dig into verses 4 and 5. Look at what is coming. Verse 4. It says that we have this inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. And that this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And I could tell you three things from those verses alone, from that verse alone, about our living hope. Number one, it says that our living hope, we have a living hope because what is coming is permanent. Did you notice the word 
the words never perish, never spoils, never fades, means that what the Lord is going to bring is indestructible, incorruptible, and unchangeable. That it doesn't matter what we go through, it doesn't matter what we go through here, when we get there, whatever we get there is going to be indestructible, incorruptible, and unchangeable. Meaning that what is there never perishes, never goes away, never goes bad, never fades. It's better than anything else we have here. And, and as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, why is it then that I'm so obsessed with my, with my, with my world today? If this is the reality of the future that is indestructible, incorruptible, and unchangeable, why is it that I keep struggling with things here if everything here eventually will fade away? If you are 40 and up, you know that that's true. If you are 20, you're still convinced that things won't fall away or fade away. Actually, I was having this conversation, having a conversation about this sermon with someone from the first service, and he said this, the older I get, the more I want heaven. And he said, why? And he says, because everything is fading away. Gravity wins, you know? <laughs> I wonder if this is something that our society truly needs today. You know, I think that we're part of a world that is obsessed with youth, obsessed with charisma, obsessed with abilities, and obsessed with beauty. And the reality is that all those things will fade away. And if you make too much of them now, it's because you're not thinking so much of what is coming later. I wonder if this is part of the reason why plastic surgery is so popular today. You know, my wife and I, my, my family and I went to Colombia to visit some relatives. And this, this is no exaggeration. Uh, Colombia is known for being, being one of the countries in the world that are experts in plastic surgery. So I'm walking through the streets, no exaggeration. I'm walking through the streets and I see a ton of people that their faces look like yeah. You know, it's someone laugh and their and the arm goes, <laughs> everything is pulled, it's stretched to the max. And I don't even know why you're laughing so much because when you go to Florida and California, it's the same thing. You know why some people struggle with that? Trying to hold on to something that will fade away. Beauty. Don't you think that we need this message today? Don't you think that we need to eagerly desire something that never perishes, never spoils, and never fades away? The second reason why our hope is a living hope is because what is coming is not just permanent, but it's certain. Did you notice the second part of that verse? It says that that inheritance is kept in heaven for us. You know what, the word keep there means that God is shielding or keeping in custody heaven for us. You know what that means? That the devil cannot take that from you, that your sin cannot take that from you, and that the world cannot take that from you. That God is keeping heaven for you, and nothing, and anybody, nobody can take that from you. 
Now, someone may say, well, I don't care about that in the future. Once again, how does that help me, help me in the present? And I have the perfect example to show you that when you have that, your life changes in the present. Did you know that if there's one thing that we can learn from the African-American community that lived in slavery for years, is that they had a big picture of heaven. And that part of their spiritual rituals to be able to survive all this injustice and pain and struggle was to sing gospel songs that talked about heaven. Because the more they sang, the more they believed, the more can endure, the more can survive. That future is certain. No one can take that from you if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Not only your future is, is permanent and is certain, but we have living hope because what is coming is infinitely better. I think that I already gave you plenty of reasons why we should think and believe that what is coming is better. Well, what I want to invite you to consider is that you already live that way. You're just not thinking hard enough about heaven. I want to invite you to consider that that's exactly how you live your life. You're always choosing not just between good and bad, but between good and infinitely better. Whatever in your head and in your heart you embrace to be infinitely better, that's what controls your life. So, give you another example. During Thanksgiving, my, my family, I've lived here 30 years in this country. My wife's family has lived here 50 years in this country. So, there's 200 people. Latin Americans from Guatemala in her family alone, living in this country. So every time we have a big gathering, everyone brings their own food. And because we have lived here for so long, there's like 15 different nationalities from Latin America. We have biracial couples. Uh, we have all of that stuff. When we gather for Thanksgiving, which is usually a smaller group of people, we have three types, uh, three types of meals. We have the Guatemalan meals because it's for my wife's family. We have African-American meals because one of my brother-in-law is African-Americans. And then you have the best food, the Colombian meal. <laughs> and I love to see how all of us behave in that gathering. Because we all know that this food is good across the board. But we all believe that one of those foods is infinitely better than everything else. So you know what we do? We skip through all the dishes that don't belong to you, and you just eat what you like the most, usually Colombian food. <laughs> I want to argue that that's how you live your life. I just think that our struggle is that either we don't believe it's strong enough that what is coming is better than what we have here, or we don't think enough about that. Because the more you embrace it with your mind and your heart, the more you understand that even though things are here good, they're nothing compared to what is yet to come. We have living hope because not only what is coming is permanent and not just is certain and not is just infinite better, infinitely better, but also we have a living hope because what is coming is secure. Look at what it says in verse 5. Who through faith, talking about Christians, are sealed 
by God's power until the coming of, of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is my favorite verse in the entire section. Because it tells me that not only what the Lord is going to bring with the second coming of Jesus, this future hope is permanent and certain and infinitely better. And not only that the Lord is keeping heaven for us, but this text says that he's keeping us for heaven. Can you see the difference? Not only he's holding what he has for you here and no one can take that away, but he's going to make sure that whatever you go through, regardless of your pain and the struggle, regardless of how many people you lose, how many abilities you lack to, you, you, you don't have, whatever you go through, he is going to keep you until he takes you to heaven. And that nothing can take that away from you. And that he never walks away from you and that he's going to make sure that he takes you home. This is why that song, that, that hymn we sang today is so important. It is well. It is well with my soul. I'm assuming that many of you guys know the story of that hymn. It's the story of a man that lost his son. A few weeks later, lost everything he had. A few weeks later, lost his daughters. And the only thing he has left is his wife. And he's doing this pain and his struggle and losing everything that was valuable to him. That he sings this song. It is well, it is well with my soul. And if you paid attention to the song, it says that it is well for my soul because Jesus died, Jesus resurrected, and what Jesus is going to bring. If there's one thing that I cannot promise to my family, is that I'm always going to be there for them. I wish I could tell them that. And I want to tell them that. But it's not true. Because I'm just a human being. And I too get sick. And I too sin. And I too will die. But my God can make that promise. And your God can make that promise. I'm going to hold you until I take you home. One of my favorite hymns is He Will Hold Me Fast. And he says, when I fear, the hymn says, when I fear, when I fear my faith will fall, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter will prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold, so he must hold me fast. Do you have that? Do you, relieve, do you really believe that your future is permanent, that is certain, certain that is infinitely better, and that is secure? That's why Advent is so important. And that's why this celebration is so important. Because we need to remember time and time again what our future hope looks like. To the point that it affects the way we live today. See, the Christian hope is an active of living hope. But the Christian hope, number two, is a grieving hope. And you say, well, grieving hope? 
See, if you notice, Peter is writing this letter to a bunch of persecuted Christians, people that are struggling. And the attitude that Peter has is not, well, just pretend that nothing is happening. He doesn't have this survival mentality approach. He doesn't say, just uh, suck it up and it'll go away. He doesn't have this escapist mentality in which they will run away from suffering. He does not have an assimilating mentality. is unite the enemy and you will stop suffering. He does not have the stoic approach to suffering and says, just be indifferent to your pain or be passive before your pain or tolerate your pain. No, his approach is completely different. Peter recognizing, recognizes that between the first advent and the second advent, we will struggle and we will suffer. Look at what he says in verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Notice that he says two different things. First, that in light of eternity, our suffering here is just for a little while. That as much as our pain feels eternal, in light of eternity, it's just for a little while. But notice how honest he is. He says, you will experience all kinds of trials. Therefore, grieve. See, that is something that the secular philosophy of life cannot give you. They will never invite you to grieve. They would invite you to pretend or to run or to do anything else as long as you don't suffer. And Christianity says it is possible if you have living hope to suffer, grieve, and not lose hope. This is something that Eastern religion also cannot do for you. The perfect example, when we talk about dying, for example, or the fear of death, the whole explanation, at least for part of the group, the whole explanation is, listen, uh, so this is the secular view. Let me go back to the secular. The secular view says, well, if you die, don't worry. You should cease, cease to exist. You know what the problem is with that? That they're trying to normalize death like if dying is normal. Dying is not normal. That was not God's original design. Therefore, we have permission to grieve. But the Eastern religion approach is very similar in their approach in a sense of they find a way for us to, to avoid the consequences of death. So, for example, they would say something like, if you die, don't worry. You will become part of nature. You will become part of, I don't know, flowers and whatever it is. And I was remembering this uh, preacher that was talking, he's giving this example about uh, this, this mother that doesn't know how to, how to not, she doesn't know how to explain to her little child uh, the reality and the pain of grief. And she's explaining all these things. And she says to her little boy, um, listen, don't worry. I know your cousin died, but you see now he's part of nature. And now he's going to be part of a plant. And now that plant is going to feed animals, and now everything is going to be super beautiful. And the kid starts crying, running away, and he says, I don't want my cousin to be a fertilizer. <laughs> Christianity, on the other hand, tells you 
that even though we suffer here, you have permission to grieve. But we grieve as we continue to look to what is coming. Actually, the text is so honest that it gives you three different ways that explain why it's a guarantee that you and I will suffer. And all comes with the word trials. See, the word trials can be translated in three different ways. Trials means that you will suffer because of something outside of you. Trials tells you that you will suffer because of something inside of you. And trials tells you that you will suffer because God was going to test your faith. That's what we saw in verses 7. That's what we say in verse 7. It says, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, um, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor. Can you see the honesty of the Christian faith? Look at what is coming, the restoration of all things, the freedom of all things, the delivering of all things. Look at this time in which you're really going to feel alive. Look at this time in which all the people you love are going to look glorious. Look at it in such a way that you can experience joy today and yet be honest enough to grieve. Don't pretend. Don't run. Don't excuse. Grieve. But don't take your eyes off your future. How do we know if that is true? How do we know that this is what the Lord is going to bring? How do we know that we can experience this joy in the midst of all of this? Point number three, resting hope. Look at what it says in verse three. <clears throat> praise be to God. And, uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. One verse, one verse, so much truth. How do we know that our future is certain? Because Jesus resurrected. See, Jesus said that he will die and resurrect, and he did. And if he did, then everything else Jesus says must be true. Therefore, whatever he says about our future has to be true. Has to be true. Why? Because he died and resurrected. How do we know that our future is permanent? That he's keeping heaven for us and he's keeping us for heaven? Because of the phrase, his great mercy. Did you know that that word is, that, that phrase is covenant language? Meaning that God has made a commitment to his people and he never walks away from his commitments. That he does not change his mind and he does not lie. Therefore, if he tells you that he's going to take you to heaven, he will take you to heaven. Even if you don't feel it or you can see it. How do we know that our future is infinite better? Because it's a gift. And all the gifts that God gives are always good gifts. And how do we know that will get this inheritance. You know what's unique about an inheritance? That in order for you to get it, someone must die first. You don't get the inheritance if your parents are still alive. For us, 
someone better and greater than our parents. Jesus Christ. The one that died, the one that grieved at the cross, the one that was abandoned, the one that was that the one that had to be left alone in order for us to in order for us to have a, a secure future. See, one of the things that we do in Christmas is remember that Jesus came, but not only that He came, but that He came to die. So our future. Is permanent, is certain, is secure, and is better. Do you have that? I pray that this Advent you get to know your Lord like that. And the picture of heaven is so amazing that you cannot walk away from that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that part of the reason why we struggle here so much, it's either because we have not understood how beautiful and amazing is what is yet to come. Lord, we recognize and confess today that part of the reason why so many times we cling to the things we have here is because we forget that those things are fading away. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that by the power of your Spirit, we may be able to see, taste and see how amazing, beautiful, perfect, certain, permanent, and secure what you are going to bring is. I pray, Lord, that we get to see Jesus and him crucified. So we know that our future is secure because he died and resurrected. Please make it happen. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say, 